Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook. If you would like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. And tonight, uh, we are very excited to have Millicent Borges Accardi with us this evening. Um, she makes a living as a freelance writer, and she makes life livable by writing poetry. She's received grants and fellowships, including one from the National Endowment for the Arts. She's had several writing residencies, including at the fab fabled Yaddo. Uh, her first book was a chapbook called Woman on the Shaky Bridge. And tonight, she's going to read for us from her first full-length, I think first full-length book called Enduring Eternity. So please join me in welcoming Ms. Accardi. Hi. I thought I'd start with a couple of um, older poems. Um, these first two I'm going to read were actually the first ones that I got published, so I thought I'd start out at the beginning and then go into some of the pieces from the book. Um, the first one um, I wrote when I was living in Long Beach and there was this um, cloister and they had um, all these nuns that lived there and it was on um, Ocean Boulevard and they had this great statue of the Virgin Mary and it was in Venus's half shell. And so I would drive past there and I was like, I have to write a poem about this and the secret life of nuns and so this is the first poem that came out of that experience. Faith. At night, the careful hands of nuns tuck underneath poker-faced hips and braid spirals. Spurious dry fingers comb, wrap around, and memorize a, long, a lost art. They rock quietly against the mattress and dream of things they will not do. Outside the cloister, a milky statue of the Virgin Mary stands, arms collected, face cast down, shielded by Botticelli's wreath. Under half-lids, stony, rambling, her eyes breathe. The marble skirt encloses other eyes, petals too, while faithful prayer sitters speculate, humidity. The pedestal's scalloped edge embeds Mary's feet in Venus's half-shell. From inside the whitewashed convent, the inhabitants rush to genuflect in disinfectant and soap. Too fluid for focus, they stop now and then to gaze through the thick third-floor curtains at the statue below, where Sunday children touch Mary's stone breasts and place potted roses at her feet, wishing, wishing. As young girls, nuns nodded God's halo around their hair and lit single candles. When the mother superior lifted their veils, she offered wax for sealing. After the benediction, like the newly dead, nuns don solemn white. The only other color they ever wear flows onto cotton rags between their thighs. This stale aired extra room, this knot at the end, this jump into frozen water, this daughter waiting for words, every month it requires this cardinal leap of faith for them to still believe they are female.
The second one was written about a family member, and she was in her 90s, and she used to do these fabulous things. And one of the things she did was she would take off all her clothes and have an air bath. <laughs> now, I never saw that, but I was always kind of fascinated. And she would be by herself, and she wasn't really a, you know, a racy person, but she just felt like, I need to do this. <laughs> And so this is the poem written about that event, or how I imagine it. Although I wasn't there, I heard about it. Air bath. While I watch her flood the floor with her arms wrapped, half bare about her chest, she reaches forward into terry cloth space. She bravely raises her wrists to the open window, inspecting the birds, allowing the cloth of the robe to slip from her shoulders. See, I can do this. She flies, she swims, she warbles, all in the open air. The sudden bursting open of terry cloth causes breast to tumble while the ten maidens dance to the sounds of Willow, weep for me on a portable radio. As if she were young and free again, the centuries-old arms reach for the mansions of devils following secret feathers. Look how her arms swim like fish on the bare tile when the tide is too much for a life for even the smallest creature in this terribly young world. She travels far, this woman, in this air, farther than an entire lifetime of telling the truth beneath her clothes, because this is what truth really is, her body, the air. Much more truth could never be. It is not time in no time at all. It happens to someone, like time passing by. This bath of forgotten touch, the feel of nothing like the wind descending against her skin, the shadow of an animal tracked closely. When questioned later, Nana will nod and say that we spend too much time in garments, too much time covered up, that this is just something she does, sometimes. The human body needs this chance to breathe, she'll say, even when one is beyond the age of wickedness, beyond fearing the savage head of the willing, willing wolf. Okay. Now this is the book. <laughs> Um, it was taken from the Thoreau title, You Can't um, Injuring Eternity, um, as if you could kill time without injuring eternity. And I always felt that that meant life is so very important, each thing you do affects things down the road. Um, Um, the first poem I'd like to read from the book is called Poor Little Sod, um, which was written for um, one of our God babies. And um, they live in England. And they use um, sod as sort of an endearing term when it's really not. Um, and so this was written when the, one of the children was ill. Poor Little Sod. My friend talks about her child with a cough. Poor little sod, she says, as if sod meant someone to be pitied, a tiny, compact little man who does not understand why he feels ill. She looks down at his red face and brushes the blonde fringe back from his forehead. She shakes her head and drinks a sip of wine from a flowered cup she calls her evening tea as she gets her boys to bed. The stairs above to their room seem endlessly steep, as if they are insurmountable. 
like a ladder to nowhere. They have no future destination. She does not want this. Poor little sod, she says, coughing to herself. When the phone rings, if he could just get to sleep. When the phone rings. <laughs> and I don't know if anyone else does yoga, but I, I try to do yoga and it keeps me sane. And yoga is all about the breath. And this poem is struggles with the breath and working with it and trying to breathe and it was sort of started with um, yoga but then it kind of took me somewhere else so devotion to the breath I love you shallow I love you deep I love you in three parts and when you come in like a lion and leave like ice clear and lucid as a thought unfelt in the night and tightened when I am nervous or frightened but you were always there, breath, always there for me. In junior high, my lungs ached with the growth of adolescence, so painful the tissues rapidly growing in my body. Three inches in height one year played havoc on my life. I take you in as new and shiny and promising and full of dope, and I let you go and ease out of the old and ancient and dusty. Long-kept rooms full of fears and relatives I do not know anymore. The mustiness of old lost before the dreams were even a thought. Mornings, you come in thick and heavy and close to my skin. So heavy that coughs and grumbles are necessary to bring you up and over and through my various allergies that have followed me through bed. Cuddling my brain, looking for a safe home when I was unaware. Evenings you are quiet and sit still for the air as it comes over my throat and whispers to me, later, lover, later. Without you, I would not press through versions and divisions and passageways. Breath without you, I would not be able to fly or to swim in the world of language, engage the value of love and forgiveness. I am dumb and easy and always here for you. All my words are written between your punctuation. I wrote this one. Um, I think I was in a, a mood of watching detective movies and uh, noir films. <clears throat> and while this isn't directly related to any one movie in particular, um, it came from many weekends of watching films that were kind of dark and <laughs> scary. <laughs> Somewhere ahead, a man is waiting. He wants to see you, but not to talk. He has other things on his mind. Maybe mystery, maybe evil. There is a road and a broken phone and the shell of an ENCO gas station that closed 30 years ago. This man thinks he knows what is best. This man imagines himself stronger than you are, with your lost face and open map of a mouth. He knows that the signs are all there, but twisted like dead birds in a storm, or a young American girl who knots her ponytail and then nibbles on the end. At the dusky cafe, this man is standing by himself, having given up the right to ordinary talk with others long ago. He knows what he wants now. 
He looks at his shoes. There's a song called by her name he used to know before he was alone. The bird of paradise only blooms when its roots are crowded. He steps forward. So we have the yoga, and then this is my um, waitress poem. <laughs> I can't say this is directly from a, an incident or anything. It's just a daydream of years of paying for school, and waiting tables, and imagining all sorts of things that might happen. <clears throat> Serving. Between the counter, you and I work the swing shift. Food all night long, consuming us as we fumble in our aprons for pens. I can almost taste your smell, your face like onion soup I want. Long, hungry, and awake, we pause together like cars at a stop sign. Pause now. We are my hand near your trousers. Take a breath. We are full of each other, full of your rummy skin, full of your slick hair, full of my calves. Our hands now inside the oily restaurant grill of you and me. We press together at the counter, serving coffee, writing checks. We shift position, smoothing, changing places for side work, wiping off ketchup lids, filling sugar dispensers while looking down at our legs, as if we are underwater. I see the slow curls of sweat in your hair. We have a fast drink later, after work, confirming the tips as they are packed in tall stacks of coins inside paper cylinders ready for the bank. This one was um, something that was brought to mind. I heard a quote about Helen Keller living only with the hands and the touch. And I took that poem sort of to heart when I was writing this. I was thinking, oh, what would it be like you're just living with your sense of touch? Um, living only with the hands. In the room with a fire nodding as they go, a mother's open fingers curl inwards, cross over through strands of untamed hair, loved from love by love. Women and pieces of ribbon twist into vows, routines, scuttled air. Memory by memory, the braids link everything permanent to everything temporary. Loved from love by love, Cupping the strands which travel side by side, brushing the flax, combing through snarls, the mother calms her child. In another room, a man eases his lover's flush with a fingertip. A man lays his vaulted head on a woman's breast. A man attaches his hips to firmament. A man coils the web of vocabulary behind his back. Neck above neck, Palm over palm, knees between knees, he covers her mouth with his words. And then this one is about um, my first roommate, and sort of looking back on things. And at the time, it seemed okay, and looking back, not so okay. <laughs> Jewels. I saw her once years ago in Beverly Hills at a cafe long after we'd lost touch. 
She seemed thin, rich, with people who looked as if they wanted nothing to do with me. Back in the 80s, we'd been roommates, driving each other insane in a beachfront apartment in Seal, the kind on Electric Avenue that flooded every day the sky even looked like it would rain. We had no furniture and moved in not knowing what we would need. We were young and naive and hopeful, not realizing we needed a fridge or heat or even knowing how to phone the electric company. In those days, there was a revolving door of boyfriends, wacky mango diets, blender margaritas, and waitressing jobs. It was a time spent before we had to grow up. A time after high school when we didn't know it yet, but we were looking for ourselves and who we thought we would turn into. It was tainted love and the doors and going to the Roxy and the whiskey and standing around backstage to catch a glimpse of Billy Zoom, Exene, and the plugs at Starwood. It was counting change in a large mason jar and locking the landlord out when he tried to come in and yell at us for taking showers. It was breaking in through the levered glass windows that are illegal now when we forgot our keys and wanted back inside. And I thought I'd read a poem about my grandmother. Um, this one is Actually, it was selected on the Women's Voices for Change website as a Valentine's poem. <laughs> um, and I sent them a few, and they picked this one up, and they, uh, I'm not sure it's romantic, but it's a, <laughs> um, anyway. Sexing It Slow with Tom Jones and Margot. I was eight going on 70. We ripped our way through Mickey Spillane with helpless women tied to chairs, blindfolded on the covers of paperbacks. Then the T-Birds, rollerball. Those chicks knew how to elbow and rough it up. We ate coffee ice cream out of cantaloupes. Then we lazed about on the love seat. Tom Jones was on TV. He even sounds like he's sweaty when he sings. My grandmother gasped when he tossed over the handkerchief to a girl in the audience. Next, we went for Lawrence Welk. A quiet ending to our torrid girl's blight out. All summer, we played it that way, Margot sipping highballs and fingering the mini Paul Mall she got downtown for free. Sexing it slow is easy in the shadows of the LBC in the 70s. It was where I learned everything. I think I'll close with um, something dirty. <laughs> something dirty. Was getting the rough, rich date shakes on the road out of town, stopping for the underground gardens built by a man who had been jilted back in Italy by his bride. Something dirty was the dust on the Oregon blackberries, the perch in the streams we stopped to fish along the way. Margot and I playing go fish for real coin money in the back of the camper. Something dirty was the green suede cowboy boots I bought with my own money at a shoe store in Cody, Wyoming, where we stopped for fried eggs and directions to Jackson Hole. 
Something dirty was the KOA camp on the way out of the country where I met a calico rabbit named Buffy and swam in a watering hole. Something dirty was mom and dad in the upper bunk of the camper, arguing, then mom yelling through the slide window on her way to Canada when my da stopped to rest and pick up a hitchhiker for direction to Victoria. Something dirty was my grandmother locking herself in the bathroom at the gas station on the border until the man we thought had a knife was asked to leave the truck so we could continue on with our journey ending up in a parking lot near the Doll Museum. Okay. If anyone has questions or anything, I'd be glad to. Can you read another one? You want me to? Okay. I'll do the morning doves for you then. Um, I live in Topanga, and there's um, Topanga Canyon. We have a lot of wild birds, and we have coyotes, and we have rattlesnakes. And um, right where I sit to write, we have a little wild bird feeder, and so I fill it up with seed, and we get we get finches that feed out of the bird feeder, and then on the casings that drop, we get um, these wonderful morning doves. And so this poem's about them: morning doves. Morning doves have such soulful eyes. Their gray suit of feathers blurs and sinks them into the background, like a creature in hiding. They hover below the wild bird feeder set up for finches and harvest the shells, the thistle seed casings, and what drops after the finches and faux robins and phoebes have feasted. The morning doves huddle and nest in the mountains of seed shells and dirt and make circles with their small bird bodies, turning into the ground, digging a place around them as if they were under a shrub with only the black drops of ink from their tail feathers visible. In a group, they lie in wait, their dear gray eyes gloomy and sullen and innocent and they want what the world desires, to be fed and comfortable and consummated and happy. Okay. <laughs> so, does anyone have questions? No? Okay, well thank you guys for coming out. <laughs> You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.